Wales, more well-established lesbian. Chapter 23 The part-time U-Haul practical solution of weekend living together was working out really well for Ash and I. We made the most of our weekends together. You know, when I wasn't spending them standing in a field of motorhomes. Whilst things were coming together in my personal life, my so-called career felt very much like an afterthought. With all my plans gone, I was just going with the flow and trying to make sure I had a respectable job. Something that justified my student loans. As I sat in my office one Wednesday, staring out of the window at the beautiful Cotswold landscape, I heard a sheep bleating outside. It was the only sound I'd heard all morning. I'd found myself in a marketing job where they didn't really want to do any marketing. So I was left with just sheep for company as I proofread yet another set of technical specifications. And when I did get out of the office, it was to deliver a motorhome. But it gave me an idea. Maybe if I asked really nicely, I could borrow one of these motorhomes to go to Brighton Pride. I'd been trying to convince Ashley to go camping. And I'll be honest with you, wasn't going all that well. But I figured a fully loaded home from home would be the kind of camping she could get behind. There was a lot of negotiation and reassurance required before work would lend me a motorhome. I mean, fair play to them. The one they let me use would have taken three years of my salary to pay off. Now, when the weather is good, Brighton Pride is awesome. From the park to the promenade to the parade. One of the gayest cities in the UK gets a whole lot gayer. Now I know there are lots and lots and lots of opinions on Pride and how it began as a protest and how it should still be a protest. I've read endless comments on the corporate capitalist aspects of Pride, the debate around how family friendly Pride should be. But that's the beauty of Pride to me, especially now. Pride is all of these things to the people who need it and want it. You know, I'm forever grateful when I find myself drunk at Pride, hand in hand with the person I love, surrounded by other people who are also reveling in the freedoms we have. Grateful those before us fought so we could do this. And grateful to those who continue to fight for us. Our little convoy has survived the road trip to Brighton. We've set ourselves up in the corner of a very lovely field. And I've turned my back for five seconds and Ashley's convinced an elderly man to let her have a hoon around the field on his tractor. I've popped the awning out on the motorhome and got the barbecue going. Honestly, an afternoon of butch delight. We headed into town once we were suitably refreshed to go and partake in the main event, 
Zoe and Brooke had joined us and we dived head first into the day. We walked bloody miles. And I'll tell you now if you've never been, Brighton has got some hills. We danced in the park and down the streets. We stopped in every bar and pub along the way. Now, I know that I've used the phrase drinks on a number of occasions in these tales. But at some point towards the end of my time with Anne, I'd actually given up drinking and much preferred being the designated driver. And I much preferred the person I was without a drink in my system. So as it got late into the night on Pride, I was ready to call it a night. I just wanted to get some dinner, I put my feet up like a very sensible, boring person. But I had no intention of spoiling the party. The girls were having a great time and we agreed that they'd just give me a text when they wanted a lift back to the campsite. Everyone is a winner. I had a lovely, calm couple of hours at the campsite chatting with God knows who that I'd met in the field when my phone rings. It's barely midnight. I didn't expect them to call so early. Except it wasn't Ashley calling to let me know they wanted a lift back. It was Zoe calling to let me know that they'd lost Ashley. Like lost, lost. Or to quote Zoe, poof, she was gone. So the girls continued to look for Ash as I drove back into town to help. I mean, I say help, I just stood where we'd arranged to meet on the off chance that Ash remembered that tiny nugget of a detail. Eventually, Zoe and Brooke get lucky and bump into Ashley down near the seafront. She was just making her way back up from the beach. They pile back to the car and Ash is absolutely hammered. She is barely upright and she is wearing somebody else's jacket. I had so many questions. The whole thing was very curious. By the time we got back to camp, it took all three of us to maneuver the heavily sleeping Ash out of the car and into the motorhome. It seemed breakfast would have an interesting story to go with it. Except it didn't. Ashley didn't have any memory beyond taking a drink off someone. Not even a single flashback after that. All jokes aside, it was one of those moments when you realise how differently a great night out could have ended. Ash had been lucky. We'd found photos on her phone of the jacket's owner. It seemed Ash had stumbled upon some people who'd taken really good care of her. I felt guilty as hell. I should have been there. I should have been keeping an eye out for her. You know, I should have had her back. Which, of course, is a lovely sentiment, but it's not practical, it's not sustainable, and it's not realistic. But for a while at least, I wouldn't be letting Ash out of my sight if possible. And if I wasn't beating myself up enough about not being the big, bad, protective butch, my silly ego was about to get another little dent. Remember how I've been proud of my uh, motorhome setup, you know, popping my awning out and all of that? Yeah, well, 
It popped out, but it did not want to pop back in. 15 odd foot of awning sticking out the side of this motorhome, steadfastly refusing to retract. I've got less than 16 hours before this has to be back in the yard at work. I've tried everything and I'm now actually sat on the roof of this 75 grand motorhome wondering what the hell to do next. Because doing 60 miles an hour down the motorway will definitely solve my awning problem, but it's probably gonna cause me one or two others. I mean, I say I've tried everything. I'm lying, because clearly I haven't actually asked for help. Because why would I? I'm the capable one, that's my job. I've gotta solve this. Such an idiot. Ash wants to help and I'm being a bit dismissive to be honest. I mean, how's a pretty feminine sundress with an almighty hangover gonna help? But hey, you know what? Let's give it a whirl. I explain how the mechanism is supposed to work and I show Ash the jammed section. She takes one look, hooks up the pole, and with some kind of Amazonian warrior level of aggression and brute strength, she clears the jam, relaxes, and then just winds the rest in with ease. Learned a few lessons that afternoon, not least that there are endless ways a femme can make me swoon. All of us make it home in one piece including the motorhome. I think my boss was as surprised as I was. And it would turn out to be the last highlight in that job. From days with no one but sheep for company to working a different branch at a different end of the country every day, the job got worse and worse. No matter what I did, it wasn't right, even when it was. I drove for hours at a time. I relived my teenage years midweek, trapped in my parents' living room. I snatched moments of the life I loved at weekends, and then I drove for hours more to be patronized, belittled, and dismissed in every meeting. And all of this to make business cards and brochures. It didn't seem worth it. At some point, on one of these trips where it just felt like I was driving forever to complete some sort of fool's errand. My boss rang me to shout at me and heap some more pointless, non-marketing related tasks on me. I don't even really remember what it was, but I knew I was done with this shit. I pulled over into a lay-by next to Blenheim Palace and I sobbed. Five months of dialing myself down, of trying to fit in at work, being on my best behaviour at home with my parents and never being anywhere for more than a day or two at a time had done me in. Would it have been different if I enjoyed the job? Absolutely. Would it have been different if at every meeting heads weren't tilted at me like I was a curious little fellow who had inadvertently found themselves in the presence of the grown-ups? Absolutely. Would it have been different if I didn't have the beginnings of a home life coming together? Absolutely. For a time, I felt pathetic for that moment in the lay-by. 
for breaking down like that over what were really small issues like that. You know, first world problems, if you will. And in the big scheme of things, they were insignificant, trivial things. But my life isn't the big scheme of things and neither is yours. And when that scheme isn't working for you, you have to listen. Because I could have just soldiered on if I'd had to. But I didn't have to. My options might not have been amazing, but I had options. And I decided it was time to focus my efforts where my happiness was coming from. You know, Ash and I sat down and talked it out. You know, not while I was all snotty and crying in a lay-by, you know, later when things were calm and we could be more rational. This time, we were going to be living together. Full-time. Properly. Like, serious, serious. Which is when things were a little interesting. From day one, Ash had kind of implied that she was somewhat of a commitment phobe. You know, not against the idea entirely, just that it might take her a while longer to get on board with it. So while moving in together made all kinds of sense on a practical level, the seriousness that it gave the relationship had Ash just a little off balance. I remember exactly where I was when Ashley asked me what I thought of open relationships. You and I could drive that road right now and I could point to the exact spot that conversation started. Ash was driving and I was playing games on her phone when she asked. And all she got from me initially was a very slow head turn, a drop of my shoulders and a pair of raised eyebrows, coupled with an expression that said, I'm sorry, what now? This was quite the unexpected conversational twist. Ash kept her eyes on the road and she gave me some context. It wasn't that she wanted to sleep with other people per se. It was just that she didn't want to feel like she couldn't. Essentially a form of reverse psychology. If it was allowed, she wouldn't want to but it would help her feel less trapped or suffocated or some words to that effect. I could see the logic she was presenting and I was surprised by my own reaction. But not exactly being an angel myself, I quite liked the idea of a get out of jail free card. You know, I'd always operated with a level of understanding and forgiveness when other people made mistakes. For two reasons. One, there but for the grace of God go I. And two, when I inevitably make my mistakes, I hope at least one person could show me that same understanding and forgiveness. So let's go back to me not being an angel. The likelihood of me never fancying someone else in my lifetime seemed very low. I'm not saying I hadn't fallen in love with Ashley. I absolutely had. It felt like the real deal. In fact, it felt like a done deal. 
I mean, I know we were young and we had a lot of life ahead of us, but it felt kind of like this was my person. If Ashley always came home to me and built a life with me and had the freedom to navigate those moments with other people without fear of resentment and loss, would it be so terrible? And if I was to be able to operate under those conditions too? I could see the logic and the appeal and it felt like it might be worth talking about. And talk about it we did. We were incredibly honest about where our boundaries were and we agreed some ground rules. We thrashed out all of the details and you know, actually the whole conversation discussion kind of became quite fun and we, you know, we had quite a lot of fun ourselves as a result of all of that honesty and discussion. And real life, to be honest, had enough going on in it to keep us busy. Ash was still working all the hours she could, driving this business forward and doing a fantastic job of it too. Meanwhile, I'm doing any temp job I can get my hands on and I'm putting my DIY skills to use around the house. You know, nobody had any time for extra relationship activities. Well, not that we'd have known about it anyway. I like to operate under the philosophy, what I don't know can't hurt me. So unless there was a risk to my actual health or well-being, I didn't want to know what Ash got up to and vice versa. From my side, it hadn't been my idea, this open relationship, and I wasn't chomping at the bit to get out there and shag around. I very much viewed it as a hall pass for that one moment where I probably drank too much and forgot myself. Talking of forgetting myself, my lack of plans and going with the flow was doing me no good. A series of anonymous temp jobs chipped away at me. I took jobs that made me keep dialing down my non-conformity. I applied for jobs I was overqualified for to be told that I didn't really fit. The client expected heels on a receptionist. I didn't look like office angels material, apparently. At home, I had a passing opinion, but ultimately it was Ash's house and I just went along with what she decided, her directions. Her goals became my goals and I felt the need to contribute to get that good, respectable job so we could be those people who got the kitchen redone. You know, have those two holidays a year. A very nice middle-class life. And then I hit the temp job jackpot. A very respectable job in a very respectable company with a very respectable wage. For me, anyway, Ash was still leagues ahead. You can see how pleased and proud I am of myself on my ID badge photo taken on day one. My parents were proud and happy. So was Ash. Therefore, I was happy. Plus, I got to go to work suited and booted. Formal office wear required meant I got to indulge my love of shirts and suits and ties. 
And the job itself was pretty good. And I was good at it too. I landed a year's contract in a very similar role in a department just around the corner, not a month or two after I got there. Really pleased with how this was all working out. But once I moved around that corner of the office into the new department, suddenly I was the odd man out. My new department was a sea of women. All white, all straight, as far as I knew, and barring three out of 30, all of them were mothers. Of the three, one was expecting, one was in the midst of an IVF cycle, and the other was recently engaged and regularly questioned about the pitter-patter of tiny feet. Individually, lovely people. But as a group, there was a definite sort of Stepford Wives vibe going on, and it looked exhausting. There were all these sort of unwritten rules about what went on in the office. You know, not to mention the collections to celebrate every single occasion. And this whole ridiculous notion that I'm supposed to bring in cakes for other people on my birthday. So on my birthday, I'm supposed to give you cake. I don't think so. How does that make any sense? It's just, it's not, it's a nonsense. Not having it. And I still, to this day, am outraged by this birthday policy that exists in a number of offices. It's my birthday, you give me cake. Just saying. I gave up trying to explain why I was wearing a tie after the 19th time of finding out the fact that I liked them wasn't a sufficient answer. I ditched the suit jackets after it was implied that it suggested I thought I was more important than I was. I felt like I was back in year nine at school, facing down girls sniggering and giggling at me for looking like a boy. I didn't know it, but my sense of self was slowly slipping away from me. And I didn't have the confidence to hang on to it. I kept trying to soften my butchness, to make it more palatable, to make it acceptable. It never was though. And I wore it all without the confidence that really carries a butch through. I didn't believe in who I was. Why would anyone else? Ash and I had a big night out planned. Lots of our friends were going to be out with us too. It was a bit of a celebration sort of night. A maximum effort outfit kind of night. And I had just the thing in mind. I'd been wanting to do the whole, you know, white shirt, undone black bow tie look for a while. It just, it's a classic, isn't it? And this sort of glam night out was the perfect occasion. I knew that it might be an outfit choice that might provoke a negative response or two on the high street where we were going out. So I continued to soften the look. A push-up bra that really was a wonder. You know, my shirt unbuttoned past more cleavage than I've ever managed to muster in my life. I did my makeup, concealer, foundation, big old lashes. 
and more than a hint of red on the lips. Honestly, I'd have worn my heels to really complete the softening, but I wanted to dance my ass off and heels were not gonna make that happen. I tried to push my anxieties out of my mind. Ashley loved my outfit, my friends too. They bigged me up and I borrowed their confidence for the evening. Mine had deserted me the moment we hit the high street. For most of the night, to be honest, it was nothing more than I usually got on a night out. The weird looks and the occasional comment that you can lip read. But as we headed into the club, the vibe changed. It was one of those nights that had an edge of tension in the crowd. Everyone just seemed a little aggro, like it could kick off at any time. The joys of being incredibly sober and really aware on a night out. Despite all this, our group found a spot to have our fun, to dance our cares away. You know, we formed our own little bubble, no bad vibes or attitude here, just smiles and dancing, thank you please. I was grinning from ear to ear as I stepped away from the group to go to the loo. I wouldn't normally go alone. Toilets, as a gender non-conforming woman, can be an absolute nightmare. Fraught with confrontation when all you want to do is pee. I figured I'd be quick. I didn't want to interrupt anyone else's moment and drag them off the dance floor with me. I was having a great time. I had my guard down. There wasn't even a queue for the ladies. As I popped into a cubicle and peed, I could hear a group of girls out near the sink gossiping and fixing their makeup. It didn't sound like they were in a hurry and it seemed unlikely that they'd leave before it became weird how long I'd stayed in the cubicle. Right, I thought to myself, you know, just gotta own it. You know you're in the right toilet, you know you're in the right space, just own it, ignore them, wash your hands and get out. Put my hand on the lock, summoned the fake confidence I needed, opened the door and headed to the sink. I'd forgotten about the toilet attendant who is now trying to offer me soap or perfume or lollipops or a paper towel in exchange for a tip. I politely decline her services more than once. She steps closer to me and I instinctively just say no thanks again, but she hadn't actually asked me anything. And then she takes another step closer and leans around in front of my face and says, this is the ladies. saw my shoulders sag in the mirror. My whole being sighed. I looked at her and I said, I know. She stepped back a little bit and I think, good, we're done. We're not. You're a boy, she yells at me. Get out. I roll my eyes at her. I look down at my boobs clearly on a shelf for display purposes, back up at her and say, I'm not, but I will go. I turn to leave and she's yelling I'm a boy and that I'm only wearing one earring. I mean, that stops me, it's such a weird thing to say. I think, you what? You know, both of my ears are pierced, you weirdo. I look in the mirror and I reach up to my earlobes. I've lost one of my bloody earrings. 
one of my diamond studs. I am pissed. Fuck's sake, I mutter. Toilet lady is convinced that this is conclusive evidence of my crime of using the wrong toilet. I should have just left immediately. But now I'm preoccupied with the fact that I've lost one of my earrings. I'm checking to see if it hasn't got caught on me or, you know, in my shirts or somewhere else in my clothes. Toilet lady is still yelling and it's attracted the attention of the group of girls who are at the other end of the toilet. You know, they are all smashed and they have decided to listen to the toilet lady's word on the matter. Two of them head towards me as the other six or seven sort of hang back a little with the toilet woman. One of them comes and stands next to me on the last row of sinks and the other one stands behind me. What am I doing in the ladies' toilets? Do I want to be a man? Do I know what I am? Why am I in here? Why am I looking at them like that? Am I some kind of fucking pervert? Am I a boy or a girl? For fuck's sake, they're talking to me. Why won't I answer them? Am I a stupid fucking dyke or am I a faggot? Which one is it? Maybe I should just get the fuck out of here. I hadn't answered them or their inane questions because I was desperately trying to keep myself together. I was seething with rage. I'd put up with the snidey, passive, aggressive shit for ages. I have tried to make myself acceptable. I have softened myself in every way I can to make myself palatable for you. And now here I was, right back in the same sort of situation. And I was fucking done with it. I was actually frozen to the spot, but there was a red mist descending. And as they continued their inane chatter, I saw myself reaching for the one to my right, taking her by the ponytail and slamming her head into the mirrors in front of me. I saw myself turn on the spot and launch the one behind me into the cubicle. And then I saw myself sitting in a cold police cell tomorrow morning. It was just a flash, but it was enough to get my feet moving. And I took off running, sprinting for the exits before I did something I'd regret forever. I'm too pretty for prison. You'll just have to take my word for that. I am though. And I wasn't stopping for anyone. I took a security guard clean off his feet on my way out. Completely by accident, but as I said, I wasn't stopping. I was just trying to outrun them. I was just trying to outrun my reaction. I was just trying to run from the person who found herself in these situations again and again. I just wanted to run away from myself. Me and my panic attack hunkered down in a corner of the car park, curled into a ball. My night was done. I don't really remember how Ash got me home, but I do know the only place I felt safe was curled up in that ball in the corner of our bedroom. I was in crisis, and the only sense of self I had 
didn't work in this world. I couldn't figure it out. I was tired and nobody was winning here, least of all me. Didn't know how to fix this. I didn't how I didn't know how to not be me. Not without just not being here. And I couldn't make it make sense to Ash. I couldn't get my words out. I'd start a sentence and in my head it would end so catastrophically I couldn't bring myself to say it out loud. My doctor took one look at my hollow face and signed me off work unsurprisingly. He put me on a myriad of waiting lists and then he pointed out that if I could afford it, private therapy would be best. He asked about my job and I told him about the very respectable company. He told me to check my benefits. Turned out to be a very good shout by the doc. You see, my very proper job had an employee assistance program. And with Ash's help, we navigated the system. I was able to get a crisis intervention meeting and six sessions with a therapist. You know, I make this section sound like a walk in the park, but it was more like a crawl through a forest with a broken leg. I had some completely inaccurate preconceived ideas of people who went to therapy. And I wasn't okay with needing all this help. I was not okay with not being okay. By my third session, I was starting to change my tune. It was having more of an impact than I'd expected. And if I'd have had the option or finances to continue after six, I absolutely would have. But I was in a much better place than I'd been in a very long while. I'd started to remember myself and whose validation really mattered to me. Not only that, I was beginning to feel myself all over again, bringing my confidence back bit by bit. I'd made more of an effort with my friends. I'd been neglecting them a bit amongst all the life that was happening. Doc and I hung out some more online and Doc helped me to remember that it might look like I'm the only one sometimes, but I'm never really alone. Being back on Gaydar Girls was good for my confidence in other ways too. The odd little ego stroke in my DMs and I appreciated the appreciating especially from this one girl, Cameron. She's pretty hot and flirty as could be. And I definitely flirted back. Cameron asked about my relationship situation. Curious mind she had. Wouldn't my girlfriend mind me flirting with her? And then suddenly, what do you know? I've remembered, I've got a hall pass. Hello and thanks for tuning in for chapter 23. Oh, I'm having a little bit of a quarter life crisis right now, which is very on brand for a millennial. And it does, in fact, continue next week. Back in the present day, please, 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 you lovely, lovely Apple podcast listeners, could you leave a review if you get a chance? You can keep it short and sweet, just like yours truly. And even if you don't listen via Apple Podcasts, I'd love your feedback, good or constructive. You can find me on Instagram 
and on Reddit at r slash t-o-a-w-e-l. Tell me what you think, tell me what could be improved, or just share your stories. Whatever you do, I hope you all have an amazing week. I'm off to write some more tales. After all, I'm not dead yet. Thanks as always for the privilege of your time. Take care out there.